This morning, I want to continue on in this sermon series we've been doing called Hike in the Steep Grade. It's where we've been taking a look at success from God's eyes, right? And success, as we've been defining in this sermon series, is becoming the person that God has kind of intended for you to become. And, and somebody asked me, well, why is that so important? So that you can go to heaven, right? God's ultimate purpose, God's ultimate success, the greatest gift that he can give you through Jesus is heaven, right? And so he spends most of his time, most of our time on this earth, refining us and growing us and, and, and developing us into this person that not only accomplishes some of his purpose on this earth, but, but one that clings to him so that he can go to heaven one day and be with him for eternity. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about success, that's what he's talking about. That's what we're kind of looking at as we go through this. And today I want to talk to you about something you're all going to be really excited about, discipline. Just show of hands, how many of you guys love discipline? Uh, what, what? This is crazy. Okay. And so we're going to talk about how do you discipline yourself for this kind of success that God talks about, okay? And I say that because great achievers in life always have this common denominator in common, right? And they have, what they have is personal discipline. Paul is a guy that we've been taking a look at a lot in this series, and he had a bunch uh, of discipline in this, uh, a bunch of discipline as we go through his different books and as we go through Acts. He also had tremendous self-control and even talks about this in this passage in 1 Corinthians 9.24. He said this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? He says, run in such a way as to get that prize. In other words, Paul's saying, I want to be a success. I want my life to count. I want to get the prize. And just as we're going through this next section, the prize is heaven. That's what he's concerned about. That's what he's living his life for. That's why he's going all over to the Mediterranean and sharing Jesus with as many people as possible because it's what God called him to do, and God is his Lord, and he loves his Lord, and he wants to be in heaven. He continues on in the passage by saying this, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever, heaven. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, like so much of our culture. I do not fight like a man beating the air, like so much of our culture. No, I beat my body, and I make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize, heaven. You know, it's interesting today as we look around, but there isn't much talk, it seems, about discipline anymore. Sometimes you see it as you're talking about different workout programs and different things, and they, they emphasize discipline. And to be honest, you have to be disciplined to, to make any headway in working out or, or dieting or di different things like that. But there really isn't that much talk about discipline just out in our society anymore. We've become, in a sense, a nation of hedonists, a hedonist defined by if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it at all. I mean, just run away from it, right? And so we're only interested in what's fun. And you can kind of get a picture of this. I have three daughters in their home on summer vacation, and, and my daughters are, get to a place in the summer where they say, I'm bored, Dad. I mean, they got a pool in back that they go swimming in. They got all sorts of books they can read. There's, there's movies they can turn on the TV and watch. You know, we got a whole Disney collection, you know, going on there. We've got all sorts of stuff you can do in the house, writing, crafts, you name it. I'm bored, Dad. And so they're always looking toward, right, the next sensational thing that gets their attention. And the problem is I don't think it's just our kids that do that. I think we too as adults, we get caught up in the same kind of thing and we're only interested, it seems, in what's fun. And if it's not fun, forgive it. If it's unpleasant, let's, let's not do it at all. In fact, it should be avoided at all costs. And so we do not, so we, we do not like good old-fashioned discipline as a result. I came across this cartoon. My wife says it may cause offense. I don't want it to cause offense. It has a greater point in mind, so please don't be offended. But I'm going to read it anyway because I thought it was funny. But anyway, it's about Milo and Opus. They're having this conversation. 
Milo says, you rang Kimosabi? Opa says, Milo, I'd like to hire you as my diet coach. Milo says, fine, let's try eating less and exercising more. Opa says, oh, no, 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 for goodness sake. I'm a typically overweight American, and I'd like a diet plan which allows me to remain as lazy as I possibly can. Milo says, that's great. Let's just get a stomach surgically reduced. Opus says, exactly, that's a ticket. You know, nothing radical. Now, I share that with this caveat. There's obviously, in our world today, um, medically necessary times where you'd go and get this done. It, just for, for your good, for your protection, all those different kinds of things. However, my bigger point is, as we look at our society, as our, at our culture, the reality of our culture today is simply this that we'd rather have our stomach reduced than implement good old-fashioned discipline. We want wealth without work. We want success without sacrifice. We want beautiful bodies without exercise. I I love these things on commercials. It's like a belt you put on and you'll get ripped abs. I keep thinking of ordering one of those because I'm like, that sounds good. I can watch the commercial and get my stomach in shape. You know, I'm thinking all those things. Okay. But those things sell because of this very thing. And so today I want to take a look at what the Bible says about success of personal discipline. And, and then I want to give you a plan from God's Word on how we might implement some of this into our lives. Now, I want to start with this whole idea because it's not, you know, something our culture kind of encourages, and so it's something a little off our radar. So I want to give you kind of the necessity or three reasons why personal discipline is important. The reality is that there's three areas, three main areas, if you're going to be a success in life, again, the way God wants you to be, you need discipline in these areas. And the first one is simply this, if you want to be successful. We must first learn to master our moods. The fact is, is that successful people are willing to do things that unsuccessful people are simply unwilling to do. In Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says this, A man without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. So I just want you to, to as you start thinking about that verse, ask yourself, am I a moody person, right? It, um, do I live by my emotions? In fact, ask this question, what percent of my decisions this last week were made because I felt like it, you know, if I felt like doing it, I did it. If I didn't feel like it, I didn't do it, right? There was a guy walking one day, and he's talking to his mom, or not walking, he was sleeping, I guess. He's talking to his mom, and he says, hey, mom, I don't feel like going to church today. She just woke him up. It's time to go to church. She says, it doesn't matter, you're going. It's just the way it is. He says, mom, I really don't feel like going to church this morning. She says, you're going, and you're going for two very important reasons. One, you're 45, and I shouldn't have to be telling you this, you know. And the second thing is you're the pastor, so you got to go, you know. But I'll just ask you, do you ever feel like not doing something? Man, every morning, I don't feel like waking up. I, I don't know about you. I'm a night person. Morning is not my friend. And, and yet, every morning, I have that struggle. And yet, if I have something to do, I get up. It's just what you do, right? But there's not a morning where I just get up and go, yes! It's 6 o'clock in the morning, and I love getting up right now. You know, I, I just don't have those mornings. And so do you ever do something that you just don't feel like doing? The answer for all of this is yes, absolutely. But you never become a success, right, by doing only what you feel. You lose all your jobs if you only did what you felt like. You would lose your family's respect if you only did what your family, you felt like. You lose so much of your family relationships if you only did what you felt like. In fact, most of the great things that are done in the world today are done by people that don't feel like doing them. I think the, the greatest picture of that is it's 2.30 in the morning and the baby starts to cry, Right? right? And what does mom or dad do? They get up, and they go, and they take care of the child. Because they want to? No. (laughs) Because they love that child, and it motivates them to go and do something they wouldn't normally do. 
Again, most of the great things that are done in the world today are done by people who don't feel like doing them. He goes on and the Bible says that a person who has no self-control is defenseless. In other words, without discipline, right, you are at the mercy of your moods. If I feel like doing it, I'll do it. If I don't feel like doing it, I won't do it. You're at their whim. And so as a result, you're a victim to however you're feeling that day. It's a good hair day, I can take on the world. If it's a bad hair day, get out of my way, right? And so to have success, you have to discipline your moods. You must have master over them. Otherwise, you're at the whims of how you're doing that day. Another thing the scripture says is you also must watch your words. In Proverbs 13.3, it says, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruins. In other words, right, have you ever, ever noticed what you can say the wrong thing at the wrong time and get yourself into a lot of different trouble? Anybody notice that? I'm the only one? Okay, very good. Uh, Proverbs 21.23 says something I think is just brilliant. It says, keep your mouth shut and you're still ad- stay out of trouble, right? There's just great wisdom in that. Um, James goes on and gives it from a Christian perspective. He says, if you're a Christian, same kind of thought, it says this. If I don't know how to tame my tongue, my religion is worthless. Why? Because I can get up and I can preach a sermon on Sunday. I can even help somebody as they struggle through life, right? But if I'm cursing at them as I'm pulling out of the parking lot, I can erase a lot of good that day, right? And so the same tongue can share nice things. It can share meanness. And we all know the, the difference, right? And so it says here, that, where am I here? If I don't know how to tame my tongue, my religion is worthless. And so God just says, if I want to be successful, again, becoming the person that he can use, the person he wants us to be, I must master my moods, I must master my tongue, my words. And then he goes on and says this, I must restrain my reactions. Proverbs 19.11, it says this, if you are sensible, you will control your temper. When something, someone wrongs you, it is great virtue to ignore it. Now, that's not really the way our society rolls. Our society encourages you to get even in many ways. And so I'll just ask you this question. Do you always feel the need to get even today? Do you always find it easily to fly off the handle when something upsets you? Right? It's an issue of discipline, ultimately, God says. So ask yourself, how much does it take to tick you off? Is it one little thing? Is it anything? George Washington Carver said this, I will never allow another man to control my life by making me hate him. And so when you say a phrase like this, you make me mad, what are you saying? Who's controlling you? Whoever you is, right? You say this, you can control my attitude. You can control the way that I feel. When I'm angry because of you, that means that you are controlling me. I don't think that's what we want to accomplish, but isn't it amazing that little kids learn this at a very little age? I may be small and I may not be very powerful, but if I can make mommy mad, guess who's in control, right? And our kids learn this, and our spouses learn this, and people that we work with, they learn this. A disciplined person, though, restrains his reactions. In 2 Timothy 4.5, it says, keep your head in all situations. He's saying that disciplined people act, and they don't react. Let me see if I can give you an example of this. You know, in parenting, they say, one of the big things is you never discipline in anger, right? So if you're mad, you got to go and cool down so you can come back and you can talk to your child. You can say, hey, this is what you did wrong. This is the consequence for what you did wrong. I love you so much. And, and you're having that kind of conversation. And just, you know, for a while, I thought getting spanked after church was just part of church service. You know, I was, when I was growing up, I, I was not a, a, a good kid in church service. I, I even crawled to the front of the church one time and said hi to pastor. He stopped the sermon. My mom was embarrassed. It was a bad day for me. So anyway, those kind of things. So the reality is, every time I got spanked, though, every time I was disciplined, I knew why. 
either my parents would explain it and they didn't have to explain it most of the time. I knew what I had done wrong, you know. And, but I always knew why and I always knew that they loved me. And here's another thing to my parents' credit. They never did it out of anger. <laughs> Even in that example, they never did it out of anger, right? And so when we act and we share value to our child and we share reasons with our child, we act responsible. When we react as parents, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. It's where we say the things to our kids that we shouldn't say, that we regret later. It's where we do things to our kids that we shouldn't do, right? It's when we react that we get ourselves into trouble. And so God says we need to learn, first of all, to restrain our reactions. Now, those are the, those are the three things that we need to master as we go through life. Now, I'm going to give you a plan now, God's plan. We can call it the ABCDs of developing a self-control plan for your life. And the first step is something from God's word that we can all do. It, sometimes it's hard, okay, but we can all do this. It should be super easy, and that is to admit our lack of discipline. Now, let me just start off. How many of you would agree in certain areas of your life that discipline would be a good thing, right? I, I could say that. I could say if I could discipline my eating a little differently, that would be healthy for me. Absolutely. Um, some of us could say if we could discipline ourselves reading God's word a little bit more regularly, that would be a great thing for us spiritually. There's all sorts of things that we could discipline our life that we can see the objective value of. So step one in developing this plan is simply to admit those areas of our life where we lack discipline, which just means we have to stop denying it and quit rationalizing it and quit making excuses and stop ignoring it. We've got to stop saying things like this. I don't have a problem. I don't have a temper. I don't have a drinking problem. I'm in good shape. I'm in control. We have to quit ignoring the problem and admit it. Say stuff like, I have a discipline problem. I have an anger problem. I have a habit that I cannot break. I love it when people say, I could stop at any time. And I said, do it or admit that you have a problem, right? A lack of discipline. Even Paul, who was tremendously disciplined in Scripture, and he struggled with this. In Romans 7, verse 15 and 18, he said this, I do not understand what I do, for I don't do what I like to do, but instead I do what I hate. For even though the desire to do good is in me, I'm not able to do it. Does that sound familiar to anybody? does to me, I mean, I, all the time. I can relate to this 100%. Everybody, I think, wants to be disciplined. Man, if I could get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, I could get so much accomplished. I could work out. <laughs> I could work out. That would be good. Probably help this other problem. But, but the reality is, I, I would love that. But every morning at 6 o'clock, when that clock goes off, if I don't have to get up, it's so easy for me to talk myself out of it, right? Every one of us wants to be disciplined. I just think in some areas of our life, we just go about it in the wrong ways. So it just leads us to the B in this plan, which is believe. You have to believe that God's going to help you. It says this in Philippians, Paul does. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to do what pleases him. In other words, he says, first, I'm going to give you the will. I'm going to give you the willpower to do this, to make these changes, to even want to begin. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you the power to do it. In other words, what God asks you to do, he's going to give you the power to do because God always makes it possible to be faithful. And faith, as we talk about, it, is a very, very important thing in learning self-control. Why? Because you've got to stop saying, I'll never be able to change. You've got to stop saying, that's just me. That's just the way I am. And that's a false statement. We can always change things. We just use it to end discussions. And you've got to get to a place where you actually expect that God can help you. You have to believe that you can change, right? Why? Because we always act according to our beliefs. Our beliefs control our behavior. Our commitments and our convictions control our conduct. The way I think determines the way that I feel, and the way that I feel determines the way that I act always. And so instead of working on the symptoms, the actions, 
and forcing myself to change, which doesn't work for very long or, for, or very well most of the time. I need to learn to change my thinking first. It starts in the mind, the way that you think. I need to believe first and foremost that God can help me overcome or to change these things in my life. Because if I don't believe that I can change, there's no use getting started, right? He goes then from, from B, he goes to C, which is claim a promise from God's word. And that's not as kind of nebulous as it sounds. You just find parts of scripture, God's promises in scripture that are encouragements to you as you, you struggle through this area of your life. See, this is a principle of positive reinforcement where you eliminate the negative and you put something positive in its place. Instead of focusing on what you don't want, you focus on what you do want because we always move toward that what we're focusing on. Now, I want you to imagine this is your kitchen counter at home and it's got some chocolate chip cookies just came out of the oven. Come on, smell it, smell it. Mmm, it smells good. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm on a diet. I can't have those. Why did my wife put those in the, in the, in the stove? Man, they, they're so good. I can't stop. No, I can't have them. What am I focusing on the whole time? What I don't want, right? God says you've got to stop focusing on what you don't want and start focusing on what you do. You've got to replace it with a positive statement, a positive promise, something else from God's word to hold on to. And then that can, and then that does change your mind and your behavior from the inside out. The Bible says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So you've got to replace it with something positive. Let me give you some examples of this. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, Isaiah writes this. He says, So do not fear, and fear is a big thing that we struggle with, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. It's a great verse if you want to break a habit, partly because you realize that God's standing by your side, that he's with you as you struggle with this, that he's with you as you're walking through life, that he can give you the power to overcome because he's right there. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline or self-control. God says, I want to give you the spirit of self-control. I can give you the willpower to change if you keep trusting me. We can do this. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a great one to put on your refrigerator door, right? You get up in the middle of the night, you're a little bit hungry, you're on a diet. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you take that and you maybe eat the paper. I don't know, but you, you, you don't eat the food, right? But God gives us strength, and if we trust, right, that God's word has power, like we say we do, and we trust that his promises are real, like we believe, then they can give us strength to overcome anything as we walk through life, and that's the principle there. And then we go to this last part, which is we have to decide in advance that we're going to do it, and this is super important. In Proverbs 13, verse 16, it says, A wise man thinks ahead, a fool does not. In Ephesians 6, 13, it says, So take up God's armor now, then when the day comes, you will be able to resist the enemy's attack. So let me just ask you, when do you put on God's armor? You do it now, right? You don't wait for the battle to begin. You don't wait until you're tempted. You don't wait until the feelings start coming at you and telling you to do the exact opposite thing of what you want to do. But you do it now. You put on your armor now before the battle. In other words, self-control is always a choice, right? It's a choice that you make in advance of the time that you need it. You make the commitment now before the moods start coming and start telling you the exact opposite thing. So for me, that looks like this. When the clock goes off at 6 o'clock, I decide the night before I'm going to wake up. So then you got to use strategy. And you, you put a sign saying, get up, you lazy person, right? right in, in front of your clock where you, you want to hit the buzzer, right? You, you do things. You, you maybe put a 
thing on your phone where you're talking to yourself in the morning saying, I know you're trying to rationalize this, but you get up. You, know, you strategize and you decide in advance, no matter what, I'm going to get up. And you can do things and it helps you step by step to overcome some of the things that you struggle with. But you decide in advance. I'm going to give some advice to some teenagers, right? You, you don't wait until the party to decide, huh, I wonder if I'm going to take drugs or, or, or drink alcohol. I mean, that's, that's not the time to decide. Teenagers, you don't wait until you're in the backseat of a car before you decide, hmm, what are my views about sex? Am I going to save myself from marriage or not? It, it's the wrong time, right? You decide, you need to decide in advance. In the end, we do all this because the rewards of personal discipline are incredible, right? We can objectively see that. The rewards of financial discipline are that we get out of debt, debt-free living in prosperity. Rewards of moral discipline are a clear conscience and self-esteem. Rewards of physical discipline are you look good, you feel good, you have more energy, you live longer. The Rewards of spiritual discipline are that it keeps you close to God, right? It keeps you close to the one who is your true source of strength and hope and peace in life. It keeps you close to the one that reminds you, that calls out to you that you are forgiven because of Jesus. It keeps you close to the one that loves you more than anybody else as you walk through life. You see, ultimately the reward of discipline is simply this, is it keeps you close to Jesus. And that, ultimately, is the single most important thing in life. And you say, being close to Jesus? I say, yes. Why? Because it's the only thing, he's the only one that can secure your eternity in heaven. You see, when we talk about success, God's ultimate plan for you is to be with him in heaven one day. Fair? And so he spends a lot of our life trying to grow us and teach us, sometimes through discipline, sometimes through testing, sometimes through opportunity. But he keeps out calling out to us. He pursues us because he loves us, because he wants us to be in heaven. And he says, follow me. And, and so this whole idea of self-discipline, ultimately, as we buffet ourselves in different ways, as we do the things that Paul did, so that we can gain the prize, is so that one day we can be in heaven. I think as we go through life, we lose perspective, like the video was saying, right? We get caught up in the moment. We get caught up with the family. We get caught up at work. We get caught up in all sports, all sorts of different things. And we forget that the ultimate thing in life is Jesus. And as a result, we don't focus nearly enough on it. As a result, we barely make it to service sometimes. But if Jesus is our ultimate focus, God says we need to start running our race differently. Running our race in a way that keeps him first. So that in the end, the final chapter of our life is written from the perspective of heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, I think so often it feels like life, we're running this race, and we know that you're with us. You promise us in your word that you run with us and that you're encouraging us all along the way. We know that our objective is heaven, and we do, we do that kind of objectively. We know that that's true. We get caught up in a lot of different things. We see the water stand, and we want to stay for an hour talking to the people instead of continuing the journey. We, we get caught up with life and the family and the kids. We get caught up with work and the frustrations. We get caught up, and we, we just get tired, Lord. And so our prayer today is that you would infuse us with the will and the power to keep on going. The perspective to remind us that life is about you and not so many of the other things that we make it. Father, in the end that you'll come and you will judge those who believe and those who don't. And we won't be able to pay you off and we won't be able to, to give our excuses. You'll be able to see what is true and what is not. Father, help us today live our lives in a way that's about you more and more.
and about so much of these other things less and less. We pray for the strength, this wisdom, this perseverance, and we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.